Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of There Is More To It. I am Easton. A quick disclaimer before we get going, and this disclaimer will be with every episode that we do. These episodes are not intended for anything other than educational purposes. I suggest that you talk with a physician if you are thinking of implementing any of the changes discussed in any of these episodes. All right, and with that taken care of, welcome to episode four of There Is More To It. I wanted to have this episode uh, be about prediabetes. Uh, We might also go into a few different subjects later on at the end of the episode. But prediabetes is a stepping stone towards type 2 diabetes. We have discussed it a little bit uh, in the prior episodes, but I wanted to spend a little bit more time on it. The American Diabetes Association does not uh, refer to it as a distinct diagnosis. It is more of a risk factor, uh, but in and of itself, it is a marker of insulin resistance. So uh, we talked about the fasting plasma glucose and the A1C levels and the oral glucose tolerance test that we use to diagnose type 2 diabetes. Well, to uh, be considered... Uh, an individual with prediabetes, we use those same tests. So uh, we talked about uh, the A1C. We usually find an elevated A1C, but this is greater than 5.7% or it is, and it is less than 6.4%. As 6.5% is diagnostic for type 2 diabetes. Now, as we look at fasting blood sugar, it is usually greater than 100 Uh, but it is less than uh, or equal to 125 milligrams per deciliter. And then if we do that oral glucose tolerance test again by taking that very sugary drink and testing two hours, we are less than 200, but we are greater than or equal to 140 milligrams per deciliter. So for individuals that are high risk, um, they should be screened. Actually, the American Diabetes Association recommends that you be screened at the age of 35 for prediabetes or diabetes, even younger if you have more of those risk factors that we discussed uh, in the previous uh, couple episodes, uh, especially you know if you have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, uh, you have a elevated BMI, uh, you're kind of in that obese or overweight categories that they use. Uh, So continuing on, um, we discussed about the prevalence. 84% of people that have prediabetes do not even know it. But an important thing, and we discussed in our first overview episode of uh, type 2 diabetes, that there is hope that it is possible to prevent or delay the progression of prediabetes to type 2 diabetes. Um, And these are through lifestyle changes, right? So these are losing weight, increasing our physical activity, changing our diet. We hear these things all the time, right? And I think a lot of Americans know, hey, well, I just got to move more, probably eat less. Well, this is kind of where it gets into there is more to it. We're not going to get into all the different... uh, genetics that could play a role in uh, the propagation of obesity or the development of diabetes or prediabetes. But it is important to know that those things do play a factor. As we talked about, family history is a huge uh, risk factor uh, for type 2 diabetes. And 
it's, I think, uh, impossible to, to just say, hey, it is only about what you eat and how much you move. Uh, but those are things that we can control. Uh, we usually can control uh, what we eat and how much physical activity that we get. Uh, so um, we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit. What are the best types of diets that we can use? Um, there is been, there has been just a ton of studies uh, on different diets and what diets work best for individuals that uh, are overweight or have obesity. You know, what can we do? So there are a few different recommendations, uh, especially that the American Diabetes Association uh, gives that have uh, been shown to be effective. Uh, one of them is the Mediterranean diet. So this uh, obviously is based off of uh, the diets that uh, people in the Mediterranean are more likely to eat, uh, especially um, over time. Uh, you know, back in the day before we had everything that could be refrigerated or flown in or drove in from all these different places, you were more isolated to the region that you were in and you had to make do with what you had. So as I was walking through the grocery store uh, with uh, my wife and, you know, we were discussing uh, the different things that I have been reading and researing, uh, that has been a huge thing. You know, it has been a uh, interesting thing as we've looked at our own diets uh, and we have considered uh, what we eat on a regular basis. One of the things that we like to do and have done this for years now is to make sure that we have a lot of variety. We like to eat uh, different things and we don't like to eat the same thing um, numerous times in a week or multiple times uh, within the same month even. Uh, we usually try to avoid that at times. Well, when you think about as you know our, our society has changed, that has played a big role in things, is you can go to the supermarket and get fresh fruit or fruit that has been flown in from all these different places. And it it's not usually seasonally, seasonally available uh, where you are. It, it's not always. It depends on where you live, but uh, some things are, are fresh and other things are not. And that, that plays a, a big role in, in what we choose. And as we look at these different diets, well, uh, we can uh, be very selective, but we have to understand that uh, variety is important to some extent and being able to make sure that we're um, enjoying our food. Uh, but at times, if we are enjoying our food maybe a little bit too much, maybe the variety is playing a role in that. And we're we're eating things that maybe we, we shouldn't be eating. So I uh, had to get off that soapbox for, uh, for now. Uh, the Mediterranean diet is the one that, you know, you eat a lot of fruits, vegetables. Um, and then it's, it has a big uh, focus on healthy fats. So olive oil, nuts, uh, healthy fish. Um, they have that this diet especially has been uh, well studied and well um, shown to reduce risk of uh, heart disease and uh, also help with glucose control. So uh, I think, and we'll get into this more in future episodes, uh, our gut reaction, especially when we see elevated levels of glucose, are to, hey, what can we do to treat this medically? What can we do to uh, lower this person's uh, glucose? Well, 
diet can be a great thing. So as we reduce the number of carbohydrates that we eat, um, especially the number of refined carbohydrates, again, we'll get into uh, not all carbohydrates are created equal. Uh, and uh, that is something that is very prevalent within our society. We eat a lot of refined sugar, a lot of refined carbohydrates. Uh, but the Mediterranean diet uh, likes to keep those in uh, Keep those out of it. Uh, that is important there. Um, other diets that have been effective for prediabetes and diabetes uh, is a low-carbohydrate diet. Uh, this focuses on eating healthy protein and healthy fats, and uh, we'll get into what those sort of things are in future episodes, but that can help also increase insulin sensitivity and also lower blood sugar. Uh, there is another diet uh, called the DASH diet. You might have heard of this is known as the dietary approaches to stop hypertension. Uh, this diet was originally designed to help lower people's blood pressure and blood pressure is a risk factor for type two diabetes. Uh, but this emphasizes eating whole foods, you know, eating fruits, vegetables, lean proteins, and then low fat, um, dairy products, especially there. Uh, going on, there are a couple other diets. Um, there's the plant-based diet. Uh, this is obviously where we decrease the number of or completely eliminate uh, animal fats. Uh, and we essentially just eat, you know, all whole foods. We eat vegetables, uh, fruits. Uh, we have a increase in our nuts and then we eat high grains so this is a diet that is high in fiber um, low in saturated fats especially and then uh, that diet has also been shown that it could help improve our glucose control and potentially reduce the risk of heart disease there and then we have our low fat diet uh, this is a diet that obviously as it says uh, is low in different types of fat and only emphasizing healthy fats uh, and then that is high in complex carbohydrates. Uh, I want to say that it's important with all of these different diets to know that they all have different effects. And I think that they can be beneficial for different individuals. It's really easy to see your friend or family member or acquaintance and say, hey, they started, you know, this diet and they have seen incredible results. Well, that's great, but that doesn't mean that it's always the best thing for you. Uh, and, and this has been shown time and time again that uh, usually when we stop our diets, we tend to get a rebound in our weight gain and we kind of end up back to where we were because uh, we slip back into those old habits. And uh, that's important to, to think about, hey, if I'm making these changes in my life, uh, I need to then at the same time uh, make these changes and try to create sustainable long lasting changes. Ones that can not only help me lose weight, but help me uh, keep the weight off. So uh, that wraps up this episode of There Is More To It. Uh, there is definitely more that we will talk about in the future about these different diets and, you know, is fat really bad? Uh, are carbohydrates more to blame here? So there are different things uh, to at least consider with all of those, but uh, references again will be in the information section of this podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.